In chapter 19, Jesus died, and we see the focus on the many prophecies that were fulfilled, and um, over and over and over again, the the Old Testament promises that that and prophecies that God had given to His people, and that the the Israelites knew. They knew the Old Testament. They they studied it. They memorized it, especially the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who had rejected Jesus. The apostles, the, the disciples that Jesus had called, uh, we see a couple of them here in our passage this morning, and we see that they are still completely confused. Right? And remember what, what I've said over and over again about the book of John. He tells us why he wrote it. He says... It's so that we would believe and that believing we would have life in his name. And he distinguishes these different kinds of believing in here. And you can't, you, you can't read more than a few verses in John without running into him talking about who believed or what believing is or what they believed in or didn't believe in. Belief is just all through this book. And we see it again in this passage. And so... Jesus has died, he's been buried, but he has not yet risen from the dead as we come into chapter 20. And the lack of understanding that the disciples have, the lack of understanding that the Pharisees have is... uh, you know, more broad, right? They, they don't understand the scriptures, as Jesus himself says to them. You err, you, you err, rather, not knowing the scriptures. And so the thing that they prided themselves on, their knowledge of the scriptures, Jesus reveals to them their lack of knowledge, of true knowledge of the scriptures. And so the disciples also have a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding of the Scriptures. And if we lack understanding of the Scriptures, there are consequences for that. And the consequences in this case are that you do not believe what they say. When you don't understand what they say, then you cannot believe them appropriately. Right? Well, we'll look at the disciples, Peter and John, this morning and their lack of belief, their lack of understanding of the Word of God. And then we'll look at ourselves and our own lack of understanding. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. 
And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Peter and John did not yet understand the scriptures. And because of that lack of understanding of the scriptures, in spite of all that Jesus had told them, in spite of all of the teaching that he had done to prepare them for his death and resurrection, we see that they didn't believe that Jesus would be raised from the dead. They didn't believe that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Now, they should have known that the Messiah was going to be crucified and raised from the dead. They ought to have known it because it's made clear in the Old Testament. Now, it's one thing to say that they should have. It's another thing for us to go and look at the Old Testament and see what they did and didn't understand and and think about ourselves being in their place and whether or not we would have understood, right? It's easy to look down on them, look back and say, Well, yeah, I mean, of course, Jesus had to die and to be raised again. But hindsight is always 20-20, right? So let's look at a few passages that reveal to us and reveal to them what the Messiah would do, what what, what would happen to the Messiah. The first one we're going to look at is actually in Acts, because Paul refers to the Old Testament as he's preaching in Acts. In chapter 13, verse 34, he says, As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, this is, this is Paul looking back to the Old Testament and quoting it to demonstrate the truth of the fact that the Messiah had been prophesied to die and to rise again from the dead. Okay, And what Calvin says, looking at this verse, is he says, basically, well, if you... If you don't know the Bible, then you might look at the choice that Paul makes of what verse to quote here and say, well, that's not a very good verse to use to prove that the Messiah is going to raise again from the dead. Okay, And just looking at it on its face value, I think he's absolutely right. It's, it's not easy for us to understand Paul's statement here. And Paul is using it to demonstrate 
the fact that this was prophesied ahead of time. Let's read that again, just this one verse. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. And here comes the Old Testament quote, right? I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That is the proof in Paul's mind that the Old Testament spoke of Christ's being raised from the dead. Are you tracking? That's what Paul uses to prove to the people that are listening to him that this is not unexpected, but expected. As for the fact that he was raised, remember what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament says something about the blessings, sure promises of David. What does that have to do with resurrection? Well, it has a few things to do with resurrection, okay? But, but in, order for us to, in order for us to understand this claim from, from Paul, and there are, other, there are other places that are easier for us to understand, okay? And we'll look at some of those other Old Testament passages that I think are easier for, for us to understand, um, but when you think of the when you think of the the Jews, and you think of their focus on the worldly kingdom of the Messiah, the the earthly kingdom of the Messiah. Okay, this is what their this is what their their hope, their longing, they're looking forward to. What all of what they thought about the Messiah was the fact that he would rule on earth, right? And they looked forward to that because they were under oppression from the Romans. And so they were delighted by this idea that there would be this, this kingdom that the Messiah would rule over and that he would, and that he would reign forever. And so Paul is using that argument about the, the blessings, the, he's, him saying, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, to point out to them the fact that this Messiah must be raised bodily. Okay? Must be raised bodily. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that Heaven is not just some ethereal spiritual reality. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, it's, it's, uh, we're so lost about heaven. We're so lost about the resurrection because we, we don't understand the scripture. We haven't studied, we don't understand what it means when, when it says the, uh, the sure, what is it? The holy and sure blessings of David. The holy and sure blessings of David. When, G, when, when God gave those promises to David, okay, those promises were that his son would sit on the throne, what? Forever. Forever. 
And this throne is not a metaphorical throne. David did not understand this to be a metaphorical promise. Do you see? He understood it to be a very physical, real thing. And this is why Paul goes to this verse. He says, the holy and sure blessings of David. And what are those? Those are to be understood in not just some sort of like magical, non-physical realm. Does that make sense? Now, when we, think of, when we think of heaven, I think most of us today think of some sort of magical, non-physical realm, like hanging out on clouds, right? This is what you see on the cards. This is what you see in... Uh, okay, so hanging out on clouds, if you sit on a cloud and you don't fall through it, what does that mean about you? You're not physical, Right? And so we get in our minds this sort of like heaven is so otherworldly to us that we disconnect it from physical reality and we say um, streets of gold and, and, and stuff, uh, you know, it's beyond me. And then we just stop thinking about it. And this is exactly what the disciples did with the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. They got the part that they liked, and they latched onto that. And the part that we like is being alive forever, right? But then we think about bodies, and it's like, well, I don't know what that's... I, I can't really wrap my head around that, and so we just go... We just jump right off of it into, into just being like, well, I guess it's going to be happy. We get to be with God. But we think about it in this, we think about it in this, this non-physical, lacking any kind of, uh, of connection to things, bodies, right? And, and this is why, uh, this is why, Christians have testified to the resurrection by burying their bodies. By doing the physical act of putting their body into the ground, when we understand that heaven is, is real in a, in a physical sense, then we understand the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the resurrection of our own bodies and the beauty of testifying to that coming resurrection by burying ourselves rather than burning ourselves up and saying, it's not physical, it doesn't matter, it's all just, it's all just going to burn anyway. See how different those two things are, right? And so Christians have always testified by burying themselves that they believe along with the promise of the word of God and that like Jesus, they will be raised and given new bodies. They will be raised. We will be raised. And that is not a, that is not a metaphorical kind of raising. This is a physical kind of raising like Jesus went through. And so the Jews latched on to this one idea that they liked 
about the Messiah, which was that he was going to reign in an actual kingdom. And, the, and, and, and so they understood and believed in the physical reality of heaven, even though they weren't really thinking about heaven. They were trying to bring heaven to earth, right? What we do is we latch on to something that we like the same way that they did and then let go of the rest just like they did. And in this case, what we latch on to is the fact that uh, it's not gonna, there's not going to be any more sadness, maybe the, that there's not going to be any more sin, um, and that you get to uh, be there forever and that you get to avoid hell. And then that's just, that's it. Right? Well, Paul's speaking to a different group of people. And so he points to the promise about the promises that have been given to David to demonstrate to the Jews this reality that this can't be fulfilled. They know the promises of David, they have focused and studied and learned. They know the promises of David that have been given to David. They know them inside and out because that, that is the center of their, their little, you know, lovely thing that they like to remember and keep and, and hold on to in terms of doctrine, right? And so Paul uses that very specific thing to show them that this required... This required Jesus to rise again from the dead. He could not stay dead. He could not simply have his spirit taken away and kept from from hell, right? He had to be raised. And so we, we look forward with the resurrection to our own resurrection, not just of our spirits being transported to the Father, but of our spirits being given real bodies again, like Jesus, and being with the Father. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, because Paul was speaking to the Jews, they understood that focus on the promises that were given to David in a way that we don't, and so that's why I spent all this time trying to explain how different we think about things, right? But there are some other passages that really line up well with us and our understanding. So Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. That one's pretty straightforward to us, isn't it? You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. What's that referring to? Well, it can't be talking about David, because David was buried and decayed, right? And was with them... To that day, as I think uh, Peter says in his sermon, maybe that's, is that, is that Stephen? I think it's Peter. <clears throat> uh, so it's not talking about David. 
you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. It's speaking of the Messiah. It's speaking of the Promised One, the fulfillment of the promises to David. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay means that he must be raised. He must be raised. We've got another uh, longer passage in Isaiah 53 that again brings together not just the fact that he must be raised, but also the fact that he must die. Let's read that one from Isaiah 53, 8 through 12. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? So, cut off out of the land of the living. Pretty clear he's going to die, right? And, and pretty clear why he's going to die, right? For the sake of the people to whom the stroke was due. God's people. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Okay, if it wasn't clear enough, he's going into a grave. Right? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Remember last week we saw the fulfillment of this prophecy, that the rich men were the ones that buried him. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. Okay. See his offspring, prolong his days. That doesn't happen to dead people, does it? That doesn't happen to people who are in the grave, does it? And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. He will divide the booty with the strong. Again, that focus that the Jews understood to be reality. Not some sort of spiritual metaphor. Because why? Because he poured out himself to death. Well, if you've poured yourself out to death, you do not receive all of these rewards that are mentioned, that are promised, unless you're no longer what? Dead. You cannot receive those rewards unless you stop being dead. The Messiah is said that he's going to go into the grave, he's going to be crushed, he's going to pour himself out to death, it's clear, 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 clear. And then it says, and then there will be all of these promises fulfilled that require him to be what? Alive. Alive. Not just dead and yet his spirit lives on. 
right? And in this sense, all of those who have died in Christ are awaiting still the resurrection. This is not something that is complete. We say that they have, if, if you die in Christ, that your spirit goes to be with the Lord. And yet that is not the end, right? For we will all be raised. Those who have eternal life to life. And those who do not have faith to judgment. And so, this is, this is a serious thing. Understanding appropriately what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means and, and knowing that it's coming was the responsibility of the Jews. It was the responsibility of the disciples, right? They should have known. The Pharisees should have known these things. They knew the scriptures. They just couldn't be bothered to understand them more fully. Now, this is, this is exactly the temptation that we face. Most of us here in this room grew up in the church. We know the scriptures. Just like Paul, raised in the faith, right? Given the, the blessing of the word of God, day in, day out, week after week, sitting in Sunday school, hearing it at family devotions, over and over and over, you have been given the gift of God's word. You have been given the gift of hearing it read, of hearing it proclaimed, of hearing it taught, of being reminded of the commands that are in it. You have been given that as a gift. Now, will you understand it? And then believe. And those are two different things, right? John says that they didn't understand, and therefore they could not believe appropriately that Christ was going to be raised, right? But once you understand appropriate truth from God's word, then you can believe it. Until you understand it, you cannot believe it right. Now, this is... This is true for everybody, okay? How many people today do not understand the basics of the gospel? Many, many people do not understand the basics of the gospel in spite of the fact that they would call themselves Christians, that they grew up being a a Christian family, Right, And what do I mean by the basics of the gospel? Well, I mean really the basics. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? And, and what does it mean that he was raised? 
That's pretty much all you need to know, right? Who was Jesus? What does it mean that he died? And why was he raised? If you don't know those things, the consequences are huge, aren't they? Because if you don't know that Jesus is very God of very God, begotten, not made, as we said, as we recited in the in the creed this morning, right? If you don't know that, then you don't have any basis of expectation that your sins can be forgiven. And if you do, if you do know that, but you don't know that he died because you are a sinner, then you cannot put your hope in him. You cannot believe that he is able to reconcile you to God. And if you do not realize that his being raised from the dead demonstrates the power of God and the completion of the work, his promises, then you'll never have hope. But even if you know all of these things, even if you understand them, do you believe? Do you believe? The lack of understanding of God's word has drastic consequences. And it starts with knowledge of the gospel, but it continues into many, many other areas. Even this morning, I've been trying to get us to understand better the concept of the resurrection being a physical thing that takes place and heaven being a legitimate place, not just some place where ethereal spirits float around and where we'll suddenly have, like, where we'll be like God and, ha- and be omniscient all of a sudden or omnipresent. This is not what happens with us in our physical bodies, right? And yes, we will have different bodies. Yes, there will be different things about us. And yes, it will be gloriously different. But the Bible doesn't say that we'll be like God. The Bible says that we'll be like angels in that regard. Speaking of the physical realities of heaven, right? And so we should, we should have that appropriately lodged in our minds and understand what it means for us. It means that our bodies matter. The fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that's, that's our bodies, not our spirits. Right? And so we have to, and so we, we may not abuse our bodies. 
That's a consequence of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead physically. Do you understand? That flows right out of this passage. The tomb was empty. It wasn't that his body was still there and his spirit was raised. We must not abuse our bodies because Jesus' body was no longer there because he was raised physically. The Jews understood much about the Messiah. But they, they, only, they only chose to understand what they liked. They only chose to study what made them happy. And they ended up missing out on something that was much more glorious than what they had given themselves to believing. The same holds true with us, as I've said, in in many areas with the Bible. Doctrines and and theologies and, and, um, and teachings that we enjoy, that make us feel good, we like to study. And then we just, we just stop. When in reality, if we, if, we truly, if we truly dug in and understood them more fully, they would produce brilliant, wonderful fruit in our lives. And so, <clears throat> one example of that today, that I've seen this last week, is that we've gotten to the point in the church today where declarations that men are to marry women are seen as a bold statement of the truth of God and the full picture of what it means of of God's teaching on sexuality about men and women. All right? There's so much more for us to learn about what it means to be men and women. A godly man and a godly woman, those are two different things, right? Because from the beginning, he made us male and female. Different bodies and different realities flowing out from that in terms of what we're to do, right? And yet, if we've limited our understanding of sexuality to the, to the fact of, well, it's not good for, for men to try to marry men, and it's not good for women to try to marry women, <clears throat> we've, all, we've, already lost, we've already lost everything, any kind of understanding of the problems inherent in adultery and fornication and all sorts of other sexual sin, Right? And therefore, we have no protection against those sins. We have, we have no other bigger picture that we're, that we're heading towards. And we're just left, just like the Jews, with this one little thing. Well, the, well, the Messiah is going to rule his earthly kingdom. And we say, well, 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 men can't marry men. And that's all we know today. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. But what does that mean for you and your obedience 
to God's commands. Well, it means that I can't marry another man. Okay? Is that, is that all that it means? Or is there more? Is that where our understanding is going to end? Because if that's where our understanding is going to end, the result is going to be the same result as the Jews. If we make it into the one thing that matters. Remember what the Jews did? When they didn't get what they wanted out of Jesus, the Messiah, they didn't get the immediate earthly kingdom being ruled by him victoriously. They turned on him and they crucified him. And we'll do the same thing with the beautiful, beautiful, from, from beginning to end, the Bible is filled with instructions to us about what it means to be faithful as men and as women, what it means to be obedient to his commands. Right from the beginning when it says that Eve was created to be a helper to Adam, we learn about the differences, right? And that's a beautiful thing. And if we think that it's not beautiful and that the only thing that matters is men don't marry men, well, then we've, we've abandoned any kind of understanding and true belief that flows from what the Bible teaches about manhood and womanhood about sexuality, about marriage. And so what, what wonderful things we can learn if we don't stop at body part has to match body part. If we're willing to step a little bit beyond that, and that, by the way, indicates that there's some sort of difference, right, between men and women, that right there begins to demonstrate to us this, this much deeper, deeper, the root system from that, right? goes deep, deep into the ground. And if we begin to realize that our hearts actually also matter in this. In fact, if we see that all through the Bible, the heart and our desires are central to what, faithful obedience to Jesus Christ looks like, the heart and our, our desires are central. Then all of a sudden, we'll move way, way beyond simply saying, well, you can't do that, or I, I can't do that. <clears throat> we'll be able to say, you know what? My desires must not be that. And here is what my desires must be. Here's what it means for me to be a man. It means for me to take responsibility for others. What a sweet thing that is. How how rich it is in what obedience then looks like. We can't we can't divorce the we can't divorce our bodies from our hearts, right? This is exactly what the, the whole rest of the sermon has been about. You know, there, there's not this sort of idea of the, the one and then the other. 
and that one or the other of them doesn't matter, the body or the spirit or the heart. You know, it's like, okay. If the heart is central, then we're going to be obedient, not just with our outward actions. Okay. We're going to be obedient and fighting for purity with our hearts and our desires as well. Let's pray.